I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. We've created a new way to protect you from unpredictable interest rates. Our exclusive Rate Shield approval. First, we lock your interest rate for up to 90 days. Then, if rates go up, your rate stays locked. But if rates go down, your rate drops. Either way, you win. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Rate Shield approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. Hello and welcome into a special edition of the Bird, the Bird Gang Blitz. We are finished with the 2017 season on to the 2018 season and we've got so much to talk about. Uh, we're going to be starting off at least just going over the retiring of two of the big three, some of the future on Larry Fitzgerald, and just getting into some of the offseason uh, as we review these last two games. Uh, but first, John, uh, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, Blake. It's great to be back on the Bird Game Blitz. We, uh, we've taken a little bit of time off for the holiday season. I uh, have plenty to talk about, as you alluded to, and um, want to kick things off with uh, a quick recap of what was Bruce Arians' final game in the desert? Yeah, definitely. Um, for me, it was also interesting because I actually got to go to this game in person, and it was fascinating to be able to have the atmosphere where it wasn't a playoff atmosphere by any means, but just the sheer amount of love and respect that was seemed to be there for Larry Fitzgerald. And there was a noticeable tension, at least looking around with some of maybe the coaching staff, there was effort, uh, even just seeing with Kyman, uh, Michael Bidwell in the press box, I was on the other side, was able to watch. There was this kind of tension and pushing, and you really got this feeling that they were pushing for Bruce Arians to win those last two games and to be able to be the, the number one most winning head coach of the Cardinals, which is Super impressive. It's more impressive that he did it in just five seasons. Uh, that tells you a lot about how downtrodden this franchise has been for maybe even just the last um, hundred years, not even talking about getting into the Chicago days. But uh, it's overall was a very, very standout um, defensive effort that you got to see. The team really stood up and played for Arians. I think it was evident that the team kind of knew that it was the last shot for him. We even know that the night before they had all covered up and lied at least for the last two um activating stanton in an effort to get to eight and eight uh some cardinals fans i know might have been a bit upset by them trying to win but ultimately after being at that game and being able to have um that farewell kind of for arians and potentially even for larry fitzgerald who had over 100 yards and was dominant again in his last two games um which will we don't think fitzgerald's retiring at least the signs seem to point to that we'll get to that later but um it's just more of trying to take this time to reminisce a Great head coach, maybe the best the Cardinals have had. Um, a incredible personality, um, just being able to remember that. And uh, I think that's part of what we want to touch on a little bit is we don't want to diminish the impact that Arians has had. Um, John, would you talk about a little bit about some of your thoughts on BA? Maybe if there's any kind of classic moments that kind of stick out that remind you of just kind of summed up the type of coach he was in Arizona, part about why he's going to miss, maybe why it was good for him to move on. Uh, to talk a little bit about the impact that Bruce Arians had in his five years here in the desert. Well, I remember where I was the night they made the choice. And of course, January of 2013, they were the last team to hire a head coach. And um, you know, some of those names included Mike McCoy, who they wanted, according to Ken Summers, and uh, he elected to go elsewhere. And um, Chip Kelly was a big hire that offseason as well uh, with the Philadelphia Eagles. He's no longer with, with them or uh, San Francisco. He's at UCLA now. But Arians was the last choice. Uh, initially, I didn't like the hire. 
you, you look about or you think about what was happening in the NFL at that time when Bruce was hired and what the division looked like and what was in vogue in the NFL. And it was read option, mobile QBs, Kaepernick, Wilson, RG3. These guys were excelling. Uh, you had two of them in your division. You had um, Jim Harbaugh, Pete Carroll. Um, you assume, you know, every year the Rams are going to uh, give you a tough game, be competitive, seven and nine, eight and eight. Uh, and you were the doormat franchise. And here you hire an old coach who essentially ran some of the same schemes and had a lot of the same philosophy that you saw from Ken Wisenhut. So I think a lot of the pushback from fans schematically was we've been trotting out, you know, immobile, you know, big arm quarterbacks for the last couple of years with the likes of Derek Anderson, John Skelton, and Ryan Lindley. And it's been a disaster. We want to go where the league is trending and get some of these, you know, mobile QBs, young guys run this read option stuff. You know, I remember wanting Daryl Bevel, as crazy as that sounds, as, as a realistic option for the Cardinals. Um, but the hire grew on me. Um, obviously, he was the coach of the year that offseason for what he did in Indianapolis. And you could just tell when he was, you know, in the presence of the media, he just felt so comfortable in that role. He didn't look like a deer in headlights. And I know that doesn't mean anything in the grand scheme of things, but he, he just looked like he belonged. And he, he garnered the respect, I think, of the fans in a lot of ways that offseason before, you know, it, the, the next camp had even taken place. You knew what you were getting. You were getting a guy who just took an Indianapolis roster to the playoffs to, I believe, 11 wins that season. I, granted, they had Andrew Luck, but he was a rookie. That was a bottom five roster that year. And I think they ended up going 11-5 and five with him. And winning the division, and or excuse me, winning a wild card and, and going to the playoffs was just incredible what he had done. So um, obviously they were able to parlay that into a great season in 2013, going 10-6. and six. Uh, I was at the finale in, against San Francisco, against the team that would you know come up a yard short of the Super Bowl, and they had significantly more talent, and the Cardinals were in a position to win that game late, and it was 20-20. to 20. I mean, he did – such a great coaching job throughout his tenure, but specifically those first three years when the Cardinals went 10 and six, 11 and five, 13 and three. I mean, just unheard of winning totals for this franchise. And it was fondly as we look back on the Super Bowl run with Ken Wisenhunt, they won nine games that year. His most was the following year, they went 10 and six. I mean, to win 11, 13 games, especially when you think about the, you know, the injuries that he had to Carson Palmer and how well Drew Stanton played for Bruce Arians how he was able to get the most out of guys that were off the scrap heap or free agents that either nobody else wanted or to take a chance on certain guys. I know Steve Kime plays a big role in that as well, but you know, Aaron's is the guy that has to coach them up and put them in positions to be successful. So you know, the biggest thing that sticks out to me is, you know, maybe he wasn't the greatest schematic in-game coach, but you knew the Cardinals were going to give a tremendous effort every time they played. And you knew that at the end of the day, you weren't going to get embarrassed. You weren't going to get out coached, and more than likely, especially if you're playing at home, I think Arians had over a 700 winning percentage at the University of Phoenix Stadium. You knew you had a great chance to win that game, um, and so it's unfortunate that these last two seasons, you know, injuries took a toll on this roster. I think Arians, admittedly, probably down the line would would say he did himself a disservice with the lack of attention to special teams. Um, but it doesn't diminish anything he's done. And these last two games, yeah, it pushes them down. 
uh, their draft position. They're picking 15th, whereas they would have picked, I believe, you know, 12 or 13th had they had lost to Seattle or, you know, probably a top 10 pick had they lost to the Giants. But, you know, eight and eight, perfect way for him to go out considering the fact that, you know, Carson Palmer goes down. This team's three and four. They end up going five and four over their next nine games with Blaine Gabbert, Drew Stanton, Kerwin Williams. I mean, just a cast of, of misfits and, and beating quality teams playoff teams like the Jaguars and the Titans in the process. So um, I think the Cardinals are going to be fine moving forward. I think this was not necessarily, you know, necessary to move on from Bruce Arians, but it's the perfect time to transition for both Arians and Palmer. And you could see the writing on the wall, especially after Palmer's injury. You know, I think that if the Cardinals had made the playoffs with Carson Palmer, he was playing well you know, he's got that option for next year. I think Bruce and and Carson probably would have reconsidered uh, going out and and doing one more chance at a Super Bowl. But with that Super Bowl window likely shut for the, you know, next year or so, uh, it's time to get some new blood in here. I, for one, am excited about it, but uh, I don't want to diminish what Bruce Aarons has done. He's the greatest coach in the history of this franchise and, and they'll miss him for sure. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. The, the stat that kind of blew me away was when you looked at it, and it was something that we knew just that Bruce Arians was good and close in one-possession games, but he went 32-12-1 in those one-possession contests, and he started out this season 0-2, which is pointed out that I believe it was in one-score games entering the fourth quarter. Uh, he had had like a – he'd only had one loss previously. He had two, uh, I believe it was in going into um, 2016. And he had another two, I believe, starting out this year as well, just where they weren't able to be, keep that lead in the fourth quarter defensively, and their offense just was not able to go and put points on the board. Um, what's impressive, at least, is just not just the clock management and the leadership, but also the aggressiveness. I, I remember just the, one of the uh, clearest memories, at least I had, was back in 2015, the Saints game, where uh, Arians went for it before the half, going for a touchdown instead of kicking a field goal. Um, and a lot of people had complained and were upset about the move just because they were saying, well, why are you going for it there? Just take the points. Late in the game, it comes down, second down, Cardinals are expected just to run out the clock. Instead, they throw the ball to David Johnson on a great design play, and he takes it over 50, like almost 50 yards or so in for a touchdown, his first career touchdown. That was when you knew this kid had something special, but you knew that this head coach was something special because uh, he didn't back down in the face of fear. He Basically, when the game was on the line, he trusted his players to go out, perform, and execute. And I think that's part of where, the, once he put the faith in the players, the players rewarded that faith uh, overall. Uh, Arians is a guy who a lot of people are going to look and compare naturally to Ken Wisenhunt, um, just because of previous Steelers coordinators, um, but just the effect that they've had in terms of with just how the players have responded with uh, just the utmost of respect of class and then just also seeing how Arians has been beloved around the league Uh, he's probably going to be going into media versus just going into retirement and he got to retire on his own terms Uh, that's a big rarity in the NFL when a coach can retire despite the fact that the general manager and owner want them back at least for another season Uh, just the impact that I think he had also on the community as well. Uh, Everyone knows about the Arians Foundation, just what they've done. And it really comes down to the fact of you have to question why this guy had never gotten a shot before (laughs) Uh, as far as for being able to have a head coach. It was something that seems like he was born to to do. And uh, a lot of it comes down to with Arians, just remembering the the phrase that Bear Bryant told him. He talked about it in his book that came out this year. And uh, as you said, we're seeing the writing on the wall. 
Bruce Arians came out with not just all or nothing, but they came out with a book uh, this off season. And he said he had at least one more season in him. There's a lot of different types of media areas where it wasn't quite a farewell tour. And part of that's because he wasn't going to make it about himself, but you could at least see that there was opportunities that he knew where he could pursue a, a future that was outside of football, um, whether that's media uh, whether that's going to be developing some of these quarterbacks or prepping them for the draft, which is what he originally was planning on doing before Chuck Pagano gave him a call. Uh, I think that with Arians, it was, it comes down to what Blair Bryan had talked about, coach him hard and hug him later. And that was the air, the, biggest thing that he did on the team was he helped inspire the players to be better. You got to at least see a lot of players develop under him and you got to see a lot of tough games from a lot of uh, really not even going to say not talented, but really downtrodden players who would kind of come in and have just struggled elsewhere. You think of Bradley Sowell taking over for Levi Brown. You think of that entire 2014 team where you have Ryan Lindley at quarterback and you're having to run trick plays with Logan Thomas and you happen to be up at the half 14, 13. Uh, you know, sometimes that faith was a little too much. We've talked uh, plenty enough about Amos Jones and the special teams here on this, but I, I think it's an area where Arians is going to be missed. Um, we're not probably ever going to get a, a head coach will interview just like he did. Uh, but I think it's at least content to know. And going into that Seattle game with the game on the line, seeing the players who uh, they seemed like it were played like it was not just Arians last game, but it was their last game in Seattle. The team got up and it did come down to a missed field goal uh, ultimately at the end. That, but it was such a great effort, at least especially in the run game with a rookie and uh, just having to have a, a rookie and John Wetzel like, get tackle and having um, Alex Boone leave with an injury part right through the game. So I think that's the biggest thing that you can say about Arians was he truly was a leader in that sense uh, where he would be able to inspire and rally men to go behind him. Speaking of leaders, there was a second retirement this weekend. It was kind of almost like a one-two gut punch, but Carson Palmer hung it up after 15 years in the NFL. And he's been a very controversial figure as far as for um, not just his time with the, with the Bengals. He looked like he was a top three quarterback in the league before he had that serious knee injury goes to Oakland. They uh, traded two first for him. It was called the greatest trade in football by Hugh Jackson struggled. And he ends up at Arizona for a sixth round pick, which turned ultimately into a seventh. And that may be the greatest trade in the history of this Cardinals organization. John talk a little bit about Carson Palmer, his impact in Arizona and his legacy. Was it time for him to hang it up? You think he should have tried to push it out. What are your thoughts at least about Palmer and this decision? Well, before I touch on on whether or not I think he should have continued playing, I, I do think that you know he's the second greatest Cardinal quarterback uh, of all time behind Kurt Warner. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know some people want to argue Jim Hart and Neil Lomax. Uh, I wasn't around to watch those uh, individuals play. I, I would think Jim Hart probably has the biggest argument just based on his longevity. I know that those teams in the 70s made the playoffs uh, multiple t- uh, amount of times. And <clears throat> so – a case could be made, but the fact that Carson only having played roughly five full seasons, not even five, four and a half full seasons for the Cardinals um, and to be in that um, ranking in the top two or three, I think says something about the play that he did have when he was on the field. Um, he was a guy who was aggressive, fit B.A.'s style of play to a T, like to push the ball downfield. I believe that's what wins in the NFL. Uh, so he was going to share, uh, throw his fair share of interceptions, but at the same time, you know, he could throw one of the best deep balls in the NFL when given time. Uh, the Cardinals, it's no secret, have not had any kind of continuity on the offensive line, but Carson, to his credit, 
have has been able to stay in there, deliver the throws on time, uh, and make quality plays for the Cardinals when he's been healthy. You look at that first season that he was integrated into this offense, was named the starter when he was traded for in the spring of 2013. Um, he came out through 24 touchdowns that next season, 4,200 yards, 63% completion. Um, did have 22 interceptions, getting the bugs out of the first year with Arians. But you could tell that, you know, big things were on the horizon, especially as, you know, they added weapons like John Brown. The next year, Michael Floyd started to play well. I do believe that the 2014 season, um, I, th- I think he was undefeated in his six starts that year. Uh, on top of that, he had uh, an incredibly fast start to the season, 11 touchdowns to only three interceptions. Uh, he was on pace to have a, an all-pro type of season before tearing his ACL against the St. Louis Rams. Uh, but he came back strong uh, and should have been the MVP in 2015. I firmly believe that. Uh, he played the best single season uh, quarterback in terms of the regular season that a Cardinal quarterback has ever played. Uh, 63% completion, uh, an unheard of 4,600 yards, which is a Cardinal single season record, 35 touchdowns, which is a Cardinal single, single season record, uh, to only 11 picks, and then a uh, passer rating of 104, which is a record as well. So um, that 2015 season obviously uh, leaves a bittersweet taste in your mouth when you talk about Palmer and potentially injuring his finger late in the season, affecting his throwing. Uh, We saw that he just wasn't the same guy in the postseason, was still able to get out of victory against Green Bay at home. But uh, unfortunately, the team just didn't show up for whatever reason against Carolina, really the only egg they've ever laid uh, in terms of being on a national stage and, and getting embarrassed like that under Arians. Uh, just happened at the worst time to pick a bad day to have a bad day. But uh, Carson came back last year, uh, shook off a slow start, still threw for over 4,200 yards, uh, 26 touchdowns, uh, played 15 out of 16 games. And uh, I think a lot of people thought that he would continue that. I remember specifically the Seattle game late last season when the Cardinals conceivably had nothing to play for uh, and the Seahawks were going for home field advantage throughout the playoffs and Carson Palmer uh, went up to Seattle like he usually does and shredded that defense for over 300 yards and, and three touchdowns. Um, just had a phenomenal day, and I was hoping that he would carry that over to this season. And it was pretty evident early on, especially against the Detroit Lions in the opener, that, that Carson just didn't look like himself. The heat was not on the fastball, so to speak. He threw that you know pretty egregious interception early in that game. Uh, ended this season before you know uh, tearing his ACL. Um, or excuse me, not tearing his ACL, breaking his forearm um, against the uh, LA Rams. Again, uh, nine touchdowns, seven picks, um, just under 2,000 yards. The writing was on the wall with Carson that if he could stay healthy, you were going to have a franchise quarterback. But he had not shown an ability to do that. Uh, You talk about the injury plague season in Cincinnati, uh, the playoff game in Cincinnati where he tore his ACL, the 2008 season where he only played four games. Um, and then obviously he sit, he sat out almost a full season until he was traded to Oakland. So the Cardinals knew going in that they had a quarterback who could run Arian's system again to a T, but would he be able to stay healthy for 16 games? And we really saw that come to fruition in 2015, but unfortunately that was peak Palmer. And um, I don't believe that, you know, 
Arians, I would have been okay with him returning. Wouldn't have been my favorite decision based on the fact that there's no quarterback of the future on the roster that was hand-selected by Bruce, and you would go year-to-year with a little bit of this drama, which I don't think is good for the team. But Carson, to me, I knew when when that injury happened against L.A. that that would be his last game with the Arizona Cardinals and, and in the NFL. Uh, he's made a ton of money, over $175 million. Uh, he's played exceptionally well for the Cardinals. He's got nothing but great uh, memories, and he's uh, probably somebody I would consider for the Ring of Honor one day uh, to have his name up in the rafters as, as a Cardinal legend. Uh, it's right now the greatest trade, like you mentioned, Blake, in, in franchise history. That's until you know the Chandler Jones um, acquisition continues to excel, and he's going to keep stacking up Pro Bowls and has an outside shot at the Hall of Fame. But I digress. Uh, Carson, to me, was an ultimate competitor, uh, somebody, his, I think his best quality was the fact that he could throw an interception. He could fumble, you know, two or three times and still come out and lead, you know, a, a quality touchdown drive. Uh, another great moment comes to mind of, you know, the Seattle game, uh, Sunday night football up in Seattle in 2015 Cardinals had a big lead. Then, then Palmer had, you know, I think back to back fumbles in the pocket, one of which was returned for a score. The Seahawks took a late lead. It was the fourth quarter and Carson put together or just probably his best drive as a Cardinal, hitting Jermaine Gresham on a seam route for for the go-ahead touchdown. Cardinals were able to win that game and, and won the division because of it. So uh, great memories. I'm happy for him. I hope he sticks around the game in some in some fashion. Uh, I, I saw Colin Coward today. He thought that he's an outside chance for the Hall of Fame based on the fact that he really did turn around three separate programs. You look at the Bengals, who had just a really sad franchise, a, a long playoff drought, uh, before he came on board and in his second season with the Bengals took him to the playoffs through 30, 32 touchdowns was uh, super impressive. There went to the playoffs multiple times dealing with divas like TJ Husmanzada, Chad Ochocinco uh, went to Oakland, took a bad Raider team to 508 and eight uh, when Hugh Jackson was the um, head coach. And then obviously did great things for the Cardinals here. So uh, it's time. It's time for him. It's time for Bruce, but great memories, fond memories, nonetheless. Yeah, I, I definitely agree there with Carson. Um, I, I think part of it is interesting because we talk about the Hall of Fame. A lot of it has to do also with how the media and how your peers uh, trust you. And he was such a classy guy that it's it's going to be one of those parts where normally you wouldn't think he'd have a shot. But when you talk about that with Kurt Warner in his career, numbers-wise, you could probably say that, you know, Warner was a, more of a uh, maybe not you can't say flash in the pan because he did show that consistency from 28 to 38 but um, just the fact that Palmer finishes like basically top 12 as far as for most quarterbacks are concerned uh, with the longevity of his career just the uh, fact that even though he wasn't as successful in the playoffs he just still had success where he went and uh, what's most impressive that we can forget about is that magical 2015 season that came off of a torn ACL for Palmer and most people didn't give the Cardinals any chance whatsoever. And they came in, they had finished um, 2014 and, you know, Palmer goes off the field with an ACL. I remember seeing at least the news kind of with, um, with where he went off of the torn ACL and just feeling this gut check of there goes kind of your chance at a Super Bowl. It was going to be played in university of Phoenix stadium that year. And your team was nine and one at the time. Uh, and had already gotten through a Palmer had a, with his shoulder. He had already had an area where with the shoulder, you, they didn't know if he was going to be able to play again. Uh, and it's just one of those kind of crazy aspects of when you think about what the process has gone through with Carson Palmer, a lot of us were from the very first season saying, all right, he's a good stopgap guy for a year. The 2014, just looking at, all right, so maybe you're going to have to 
just try to see if you can get a guy another year. You, they were looking at 2015, and that was kind of that year they had the magical run almost out of nowhere where the Cardinals were 9-1 um, in 2014. And then when he went down, came back, no one expected anything again, as we said. Uh, it just shows the mental, the fortitude, the toughness of the guy. And you think about how many hits he took to still get up and keep going just at the age of uh, – 38 that he is now with this year so i think it was definitely the right time part of it they say is you know you can feel it with him i think it was that he just was not able to recover from that broken arm uh, as quickly as he as you know he might have used to and i think that was part of the reason why where once it went down he had the well i want to try to come back and want to be able to see if i can finish and once it kind of became pretty clear and apparent that it wasn't going to happen it kind of felt like that was an inevitability at least so um, i think that with carson um i think with when you're talking about ring of honor it'll be interesting to see how much he hangs around as far as for in the valley bruce arians i think is going to be a surefire guy to get in there especially with the fact that he's keeping around with the arians foundation um, the fact that he's probably going to end up, um, if he goes into media uh, with John Gruden getting hired, you know, some have mentioned the Monday night football. It's a little bit early for that. I think Arians is a little more introverted than uh, he lets on. But uh, I think that's part of when you look at these are two guys who are riding off uh, into the sunset. Um, they're not riding off of that Super Bowl like how they promised and wanted, um, but they gave it their best shot. Uh, I think you can, the lasting memory I think I'll have of Palmer is just the fact that it was a ravaged Cardinals offensive line, no David Johnson. And just with him going off in that half of starting, I think it was 14 for 14 with two should have been three touchdowns against the Cowboys on Monday Night Football. And then just watching him take hit after hit in the second half, um, trying to put the Cardinals in a place where they could win. The defense didn't hold up. It was just that kind of seemed to sum up a lot of Carson Palmer's career where he's given it all he's got. A lot of the other guys around him are letting it up. He makes a mistake. And it's just one of those areas of you can accept the good, you can accept the bad. And that's some of what I think we should do with um, Bruce Arians as well. Uh, let's talk a little bit, just kind of play devil's attitude here. What are some areas at least that we would look at as far as for Arians, either for rooms or improvement, maybe it was typical kind of complaints or other things like that. Uh, we've talked plenty about Arians' lack of desire for drafting a franchise or a rookie quarterback. Um, we've talked about how the problem with them coaching, his coaching is it's going to be too good of a job as a coach where they'd be able to be able to take one of those guys without trading up a lot. Uh, John, what are kind of some of the areas you think at least with Arians where Maybe it's not areas we'll remember as fondly about him. Maybe it's some different complaints lasting. What's kind of that part of his legacy that you think we can look at? Well, early on, there were minimal criticisms, right? Um, the fact that he took that 2013 roster to double-digit wins when you had the two representatives in the NFC Championship game in your division that year, um, one of which won the Super Bowl in Seattle, uh, was unbelievable. What he did in 2014, unbelievable. Uh, I thought, you know, when you lose Todd Bowles, James Betcher, what may not be Todd Bowles, has done an admirable job, and uh, that's why he's being considered, at least at this point, for the head coaching job um, since Bruce Arians has retired. Um, My biggest criticism, Blake, and you just mentioned it, is the fact that when he was brought on and he and and Michael went to dinner he talked about you know, his philosophy as a play caller, and he believed that to win a championship, he could do it with Arizona, but he wanted a veteran franchise quarterback. Um, and I think it was the right move getting Carson, but I also believe that it was a mistake to essentially, and this is what they've done, whether they'll admit to it or not, ignore any young potential franchise quarterbacks within the draft. I think Bruce as much as Steve will say that Bruce was essentially cool with any and all decisions that he's made, you saw 
Um, Steve made that comment at, at Aaron's presser that Steve would go to his office and say, Hey, we just signed so-and-so and Bruce would say, cool, baby, we'll have him ready. But I think there's more to that, especially when you talk about the fact that you know, Bruce considers him the self-proclaimed quarterback whisperer. And we've touched on this before. That's the title of his, of his autobiography of his book. And so here you have first time GM, Steve Kime, and you've got the QB whisperer and they're in the draft room together. They scout together. Uh, especially in the offseason, go to the combine, and you look at all these quarterbacks that have come out between 2013 and 2017, and to realistically only take a project fourth rounder from Arians alma mater, you're telling me you know Bruce Arians doesn't have a say of who the who the next QB of the Arizona Cardinals is, who who's going to be you know on the roster? I, I think it says a couple things. I think it says that. Arians was loyal to Drew Stanton and wanted Stanton on the team and didn't want to carry three quarterbacks on his roster. And I think he looked at April's draft as a potential for, I want BPA to help me win a championship. And that's great for, for uh, a community and for a franchise that's never won a Super Bowl. And with Carson Palmer playing well, you can probably make that argument. But with the fragility of Palmer and the uncertainty year to year with Carson, it just wasn't a wise decision to pass so many times on future signal callers that have turned out to be pretty damn good. And I'm looking at Derek Carr. I'm looking at Deshaun Watson. Everybody thinks Patrick Mahomes is going to take the lead by storm. And so it's unfortunate that, that Bruce and Steve really could never get on the same page with finding that guy and, and pulling the trigger because who knows, Blake, I, I do think that, you know, especially this season, if Carson Palmer goes down early and you've got a Watson or a Mahomes and they play well, it reinvigorates you as a coach. And it gives Bruce Arians the opportunity to say, okay, this individual's got seven, eight starts under his belt, not going to be a rookie essentially going into his rookie season the next year. He's going to have you know, a full off season within our program, learning our playbook. It's going to have live game action. We're excited about what he can do. Maybe I'll give this a go one more year. Russell Wilson won a Super Bowl in his second season with Seattle behind a great defense and a great running game, which the Cardinals have. Now, I'm not saying that you know any of these guys are Russell Wilson, but you, you get the point I'm trying to make. Uh, the, the Amos Jones thing, we've, we beat that to death. Arians is a loyal guy, and, and the fact that you know he didn't want to fire one of his buddies I think was probably the difference between winning multiple playoff games either in 2014, 2015, making the playoffs in 2016. It probably cost Bruce a handful of games. But the, at the end of the day, I think the biggest regret is going to be the fact that you know he wasn't able to find the next guy for the Cardinals. And he made a comment last offseason that echoes to me that he would, he didn't want to leave this franchise in the same place that, that was left when, when Kurt Warner retired and the Cardinals were scrambling. Well, you had all laughs off season. You talked up the quarterback class and you didn't deliver. And you are leaving the Cardinals in that same position as le- at least with the quarterback. You know, the roster may be better, but you know, Bruce didn't really have a ton to do with the personnel decisions on this team outside of quarterback. So kind of talked a little bit, both sides out of his mouth and it's frustrating, but the good news is, is hopefully the Cardinals can acquire, you know, a quality head coach that can be paired up with a rookie quarterback and there's at least four or five good ones in this draft, and the Cardinals are going to be in a position to get one. So I can understand the idea of not wanting to you know, force a second-year quarterback under a new head coach that may not see the same you know, skill sets fit that coach's you know, schemes and schematically will it all work out. But 
Uh, it is unfortunate that we never did get the understudy to, call, understudy to Carson Palmer to learn air and ski. Hey, sports fans, football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with MyBookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree that that's the biggest regret I think you can say with um, with Arians. I think, I don't know how much of it's a regret for him. I do think that he entered 2017 thinking it was going to be his last year. And as a result, I don't think that he wanted to have to deal with a rookie quarterback. And in some cases, you can say maybe it was justified. Uh, you look at Hassan Reddick, who it was kind of one of those areas that was a huge scare for Cardinals fans. It looked like he had done down with a non-contact injury. Uh, come out, test it, gets it back up and walks away. That's probably one of the biggest things, at least of the stories of the season. We'll talk a little bit about uh, another player who got through the season without an injury in a bit. But I think that's the biggest area that you can talk about with um, Arians is you brought in this guy to basically help you find your next quarterback. And you always assume Palmer would be a stopgap. He turned into a five-year quarterback. And so that's part of where you can say, all right, you know, you found your quarterback, the lifespan of a, an NFL QB it's probably not going to be about five years or so of the, the play that they got was solid. And they were, you know, they won 10, 10 games a season. Uh, but I think that you can look at just the overall talk about a lot of stuff in Arians. You know, he, he was a guy who backed up the talk in all of those areas. But if the Cardinals do find another offensive head coach, I think that's probably what Steve Kahn will want. He comes in, he finds that quarterback. Might be an area that um, you might end up looking at. Arians maybe of maybe not a regret, but that future coach might be the guy who ends up being the one who gets maybe more of the glory or at least some of the credit. And we'll end up seeing how it goes for that one. But overall, I think with Arians, the other area I think you can complain about, and this is something that'll be very interesting with them as they're interviewing new head coaches, is um, you can talk about his loyalty seems to be one where it would bite him in the butt at times. Um, I think that was one of his strongest features. It was part of who he was. He wasn't going to change who he was. And there was also the fact that he had total confidence in his players, even when sometimes the players would mess up or you'd talk about the play call. And the run game was another huge area that a lot of people complain a lot about with the run pass selection. Their 2015 season, they were about 50-50 or so. Um, Arians is always a guy who preached about the run always sets up the pass. Uh, so he was always a pass first kind of quarterback. We got to see that with Palmer, even got to see that with Blaine Gabbert throwing 48 passes in a football game this year. Um, but I think what's interesting about Arians is also just the fact that he, even though he was who he was, he never truly stayed stubborn. And that's, I think what really doomed Ken Wisenhunt. And that's really why he's not remembered fondly in the Valley, especially when he moved on to Tennessee and moved on to San Diego. He helped revive Phillip rivers a little bit, but 
really ultimately Arians evolved and showed a lot. He hired a female coach um, who was an intern. It was like the made NFL history for that, the organization. And what was interesting was, is that it wasn't for them a PR move so much as the fact that the players actually did learn and took some stuff away from her. And he showed also evolution, I think in the way that he viewed quarterback and quarterback play, uh, especially coming in as a rookie. Uh, the first year, I remember that was one of the biggest things that he said and talked about was, you know, if a quarterback comes in and he's a rookie, you want to give him all those snaps because he needs that experience. He has to grow. And then they didn't draft a quarterback in 2013 to get into 2014. And then all of a sudden the tone starts changing to, well, you know, with quarterbacks, maybe sometimes some of them need to take some time to learn, to sit. And that was the year where, we know, they were quite interested in Blake Bortles. Uh, and you get to then see the evolution kind of moving further from that one, where it's 2015, 2016, where you see I'm loving Carson Wentz and believing and a lot of the different takes and quarterbacks that Arians had, I think did end up changing and evolving. And we saw that on full display with Blaine Gabbard this year. Arians went away from this deep, heavy passing attack where it'd be attacking deep routes um, and the bash and bomb offense where you got to see a lot more of quicker passing games. Uh, you got to see a tight ends get involved, especially Ricky Seals Jones. Uh, we'll have to see, hopefully he'll be able to develop and be very curious if a, a new head coach will make use of his athleticism. Uh, but you got to really see him change and evolve his style. And he's always been a guy who's wanted to have his style fit his quarterback. And that's been one of the areas of NFL coaches. There's so many who just can't do it. You look at Jeff Fisher, you look at John Fox, they just have not been able to make those type of flexibility or set in their ways. And Arians, despite being the second oldest coach in the league, he always had that going for him. And uh, I think that's part of what was um, so excellent. Speaking of with quarterbacks, uh, you can't really talk about Arians without talking Drew Stanton. And I think that's really interesting. Uh, it's Drew Stanton, you look at these last two games he was brought back for, He's played through them. He had a bone bruise earlier this year. There's reports that they had that Stanton uh, was originally considered to be playing with a torn ACL. Larry Fitzgerald tweeted that out after the game. Everyone's like, oh my gosh, there's a torn ACL. Drew Stanton says, no, no, it's not, it's not a torn ACL. Then a report comes out from Ian Rappaport that it's not that he hasn't been, he's been playing a torn ACL. It's that his ACL has been gone for years. And this is something that I did hear um, this year that Stanton has a bum knee. And the fact that he's able to play on it, was able to be mobile, move around. He took very, very few sacks in his time playing this year compared to Palmer, who's incredibly immobile, and even compared to Blaine Gabbert, who would get skittish and scared a lot, would hold onto the ball too long. Stanton was able to move, move around, extend the plays in the pocket, and that really fits, as we've talked about, this kind of current NFL of trying to isolate these big, strong pass rushers. And uh, the fact that he played well enough to put the Cardinals in position to win those last two games, the Giants they were favored in, um, but to be able to have a shutout performance and then to go up into Seattle and have that as the kind of crowning moment of Bruce Arians going four and one in Seattle, him being able to beat the Seahawks with his backup quarterback, you know, playing with no ACL with Kerwin Williams at running back. That's probably the biggest, best, most fitting send off you could have possibly had for Bruce Arians. Uh, it was just kind of the true cardiac cards at their best, at least. Um, just a quick thought, at least about with Drew Stan. What do you think about his impact in Arizona? And do you think that he's a guy that the Cardinals should look at bringing back? Is he the guy you should look at perhaps as a starter going into 2018? I don't think they should bring him back because I think the new coach, whomever that is, is going to want his own veteran to run his scheme. You look at a Pat Shermer, uh, who they are interviewing, they could potentially bring on Case Keenum if he hits the open market. Um, I think Alex Smith's going to be an option. I think Tyrod Taylor, somebody like that who's got a higher upside as a veteran to win games in, in 2018. Uh, but I will say that, that Stanton and Blake, we've talked about it before. 
he's he's probably got to be in discussion for top 10 best Cardinal quarterbacks ever. And it's crazy to think that considering he played limited snaps and was a backup, but you know, I think his career record was, you know, he, I think he won 75 plus percent of his games. He was seven and one in his last eight or six and one in his last seven. I can't remember uh, for Bruce Aarons. Do you have that number, Blake? You'd six and one uh, in his last seven starts. And it's crazy impressive considering how he would uh, really deplete offense for the majority of those games in 2014 and also in 2017. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of those games have been on the road. You look at the Niner game the last two years, he's won on the road. Um, just super impressive going to Seattle this year and winning on the road in that environment when Seattle's conceivably playing for a playoff berth, you know, for you know, through three quarters and to, to come out as well as he did in that opening drive, leading them for a touchdown with, you know, a makeshift offensive line to say the least, no quality uh, skilled players outside of Larry Fitzgerald uh, running back by committee. Uh, he was just the consummate professional. I think the Cardinals would have been okay with him starting uh, like Bruce Arians had said in 2013, assuming they would have found another rookie. Uh, I think, you know, he would have played at, at minimum 500 ball for them um, and, you know, to this day, he's still got a hell of a deep ball. So, you know, I think he's going to catch on somewhere else. We'll see where the rest of this staff goes, um, as I don't think any of them, especially offensively, are going to be retained. So, you know, if a Harold Goodwin lands somewhere and has a rapport with a head coach, I could see, you know, Stanton going there and pairing with him. Uh, but, yeah, he was a, a very quality backup in this league, probably a top two or three backups in football where you know that, if he was going to start for you, he could win you a handful of games until your your starter came back, until Carson came back. So uh, he's loyal to B.A. Uh, it's kind of unfortunate because he's really going to be the odd man out in terms of the, um, you know, he and Palmer and Arians were kind of all tied at the hip during their time here and have spent the last five years together, film room, meetings, that kind of thing. Uh, the Cardinals have gone through a plethora of, of third-string quarterbacks, you know, Matt Barkley, you know, is, is on the roster right now will not be in a, in a couple months, but um, you know, Drew's going to have to find work elsewhere. If he wants to continue playing, that's not the case for, for Carson and BA, they get to ride off in this into the sunset. But uh, I, I do, you know, think that he is going to latch on somewhere else. I just, I don't think it makes sense for him to come back. Yeah, I would totally agree as far as where, unless he can fit the scheme. And that was part of the reason why people talked about Stan saying, oh, he fits the scheme. And I know there's a lot of complaints some Cardinals fans have had, but really when it came down to it, he went out, he executed, he won games, he had a 9-4 and four record. Um, and as we talked about, I believe there was a stat that you had found earlier, which was kind of insane, where the Cardinals, if you look at how the, uh, just the rec- best record since 2011, the Cardinals were the ninth overall ranked team. And that includes that terrible 2012 year, that five and 11. So part of the reason why they did so well is because when the time that was missed by Drew Stan, Cardinals could st- keep winning games. He went out there, he did his job. I-, I think personally he should move into more of a coaching, especially quarterback coaching role, because that really was ultimately his role in the team. He helped Carson learn the offense. Uh, he also helped mentor Blaine a lot this year, despite the fact that they were competing for a job. And he really is going to be able to show a lot of the different cases, especially with athletic quarterbacks of being able to get those reads down. I think he's got a future, at least as far as for being one of those guys who'll be able to work with quarterbacks. And a lot of that's because of the time that he spent with Bruce Arians. I think Palmer, um, he had a lot more prolific maybe career. Maybe he's not going to go into that route. But that, I think, is where Stanton's going to be able to have a, a long uh, kind of a career in the NFL if he wants to see if he can pursue that. 
Uh, with the big news that we have over there for that one, let's talk a little bit about, before we get into kind of some of the uh, rest of it, uh, we've got uh, Larry Fitzgerald. And I think it's, we've talked plenty about whether he's going to retire now, whether he's going to stay. Let's talk just a little bit about what we think is going to happen and what would be just kind of the impact in case you don't see him return, which I think is all but it's, – it's not all but certain at this point, but majority seems to swing that it is going to be him in Cardinal Red next year. Yeah, I think it would take a complete blunder by the front office, by Steve Keim, um, to not retain Larry Fitzgerald. I think Larry is going to watch how you know this head coaching search plays out. And um, you know, it's not like Larry, the Cardinals, lead Larry's approval as to who to hire. That's ridiculous. But at the same time, I think Larry's going to want to see a little bit of you know positive movement. I think maybe looking for a little bit of familiarity, uh, a little bit of you know recognition from this next head coach that, you know, I'm going to keep you where you're at. You're the best offensive player we have outside of David Johnson, the only reliable receiver, stand in the slot, get your hundred balls. Uh, whomever's going to be throwing the ball to you. We're going to make sure that individual is competent at the very least. We're going to get you a veteran. We're going to get you a rookie. Um, you're going to be well taken care of in, in 2018. And if you want to continue playing. Um, but yeah, I, I think the Cardinals would have to absolutely, you know, fumble this opportunity for, for Larry not to come back. I think like we've talked about it before. Uh, I think legacy means a lot to Larry Fitzgerald and, and really for wide receivers, you don't measure that in championships. Jerry Rice is kind of an anomaly in the NFL. He's considered the greatest player ever, or certainly the greatest wide receiver ever. And everybody's kind of chasing second place. And Larry Fitzgerald currently sits third all time. He's got a chance to hop into second place with another solid season. Uh, In my opinion, he's the greatest postseason receiver of all time ahead of Jerry Rice. He willed this team to a championship uh, two minutes away from a title. Um, I don't think he's going to have an opportunity to win a Super Bowl, but I think he's kind of come to grips with that. And at the same time, you know, he's incredibly savvy uh, in terms of, you know, his business acumen. He's made a ton of money for himself. Um, I think he wants to be competitive. Don't get me wrong. He doesn't want to go back to the days of, you know, four and 12, five and 11. But I think if, if the Cardinals are relevant, if they're viable, if they show that they can get a young quarterback who can maybe re-energize him these last, you know, one to two years, and he's able to get his, his catches while still making, you know, double, you know, eight, eight figures uh, via Steve Kime. I think that's going to be enough for Larry. Yeah, I would agree. With Arians, it was you got win number 50 and you knew that was going to be your send off with Carson. It was just his age and the fact that you knew this team was going to have to start over with quarterback. Fitz doesn't seem like he's done. He was the number two receptions leader behind Jarvis Landry in the NFL. And just some of the plays he's able to make guys as he's, I believe, now the oldest wide receiver in the NFL is actually the <laughs> the craziest thing about it and just to see the plays he's making in the Giants game where Drew Stanton ends up kind of throwing a ball up for grabs and triple coverage Fitz adjusts makes an incredible catch um was able to just kind of he just dominated that game uh, where they weren't able to cover him and this is the guy who you know is having to move to the slot because he doesn't have that outside speed anymore and to kind of preserve his career uh, the biggest thing I think we can say about with Bruce uh, with Bruce Arians is that something else that we need to I guess kind of be grateful for BA for is he really did extend Larry Fitzgerald's career 
You look at how Calvin Johnson's not even in the league anymore. Andre Johnson's out of the league. He had the savvy to be able to move Fitzgerald inside. He became one of the best blocking wide receivers in the NFL, if not the best blocking wide receiver in the NFL. And he has been so resurgent. He basically put up almost a 1,200-yard season. It, it, it's Statistically, it's not going to have the you know yards per catch like he did when he was a dominant outside threat. But just of him being able to be kind of the best slot receiver in the NFL – uh, it was a tremendous move that extended his career. And I think that that's one of those things where Fitz is always going to have a soft spot for Arians, despite the fact that first year in 2013 was hard. In 2014, you're starting to talk about, okay, is he going to get traded to the Patriots or the Vikings? We heard those rumors for years. We've even seen a couple of people have been bringing that up. And we can always just, you know, quell those. Not, he's got 11 million reasons to come back. And Michael Bidwell is not going to let him walk away. He's never chosen to walk away when he could have. Um, I think that's the biggest thing for Fitz is that if he comes back, you'll be able to at least have that weapon. You'll be able to have another year to be able to kind of find maybe not the replacement because there's, there's no replacing in the number two wide receiver of all time, but you'll be able to at least find a, a spot moving forward, at least with um, the Cardinals. Uh, on the other side of the ball, let's talk about a player who's maybe not off criticized coming into this year, but really had a lot to lose heading into this year and really started out slow. Tyron Matthew ended up finishing on the team with a healthy season. He played in all 16 games, played the most amount of snaps on the team, and overall finished, I believe, is maybe even the most amount of snaps in the NFL. He was a Iron Man this year, and that's completely opposite of the narrative that we had moving in with him. Um, he did lose a, a little bit of um, maybe some of the splash plays to Buda Baker taking over in that um, uh, strong safety role with some of the different plays, but he improved the quality of his play. Is that going to be enough for the Cardinals? I know a lot of people have looked at cutting him, uh, entering into next season. Did he make enough plays as far as for where the Cardinals are going to look at cutting, restructuring, or are they just going to keep him? Is this the Tyron Matthew we know? What are your thoughts at least about him, John? Uh, I think they are going to keep him. I, I think it would be not necessarily disrespectful to ask for some kind of pay reduction, but I think they have too much respect for Tyron. They just gave him that contract one off season ago. And like you mentioned, Blake, not only did he play the most snaps on the team, I think he was up in the league leaders for snaps. So he showed he could stay healthy this year, flourished in his role, um, 78 tackles, a forced fumble, two interceptions, played better as the season went on. Um, so I expect that to continue over next year. If the Cardinals get uh, continued quality playoffs at Patrick Peterson, like they got via Tremont Williams, if, if he's brought back or another veteran corner, they're going to have one of the most talented secondaries in all of football. Voodoo Baker is a star in the making. Patrick Peterson is, is a top five corner. And then Tyron Matthew, I think, will show the explosiveness, the big plays next year. Uh, this year, again, probably just getting his footing back in terms of playing a full NFL season. Uh, wasn't himself last year based on you know previous injuries, that, um, that other torn ACL from 2015. Um, so it really takes you about 18 months to get back to the player that you were. And we saw that toward the end of the season. You know, over the cap, I think his cap hit next year is in the neighborhood of 9 to $10 million. It's, it's very doable. Um, he's only 25. He's a leader in the community. He's a leader in the locker room he's probably Steve Kimes best pure draft pick in terms of you know where they took him where the, the franchise was turning to at that point 2013 a lot of uncertainty you know he and David Johnson are probably the best two picks that Kimes ever made uh, ironically enough both in the third round um, and really he's going to be the heart and soul of the defense if and when you know you hate to say it you know Patrick Peterson moves on he's got a couple more years on his deal so I, I think Tyron's going to stick around. You'd hate Blake to see 
him go and play well somewhere else if the Cardinals were to release him um, because of the fact that he would be probably one of the hottest free agents on the market because when he is healthy, he's an all-pro kind of player. He's a hybrid kind of player that excels in this league. Uh, I think he put on a little bit of weight like he said he was going to in the offseason to show that you know his body could, could take the pounding. Uh, and I think at this point, you're doing yourself a disservice uh, if you don't have him back there wreaking havoc with Buda Baker because I think those guys pair so well with each other. You've got Antoine Bethay for another season, and I'm assuming they're going to keep him around. So they've got finally some quality depth in the secondary, some big-time players uh, along with some savvy veterans. That's an area that was excellent this year, and I wouldn't touch it at all. And the Cardinals have plenty of cap space to keep Tyron at his current figure. I'd agree. Yeah. Just looking at it with the, uh, whether it's cutting or even, I know some people said you cut him and release him. If you restructure, you're going to save about the same amount of money. And I don't know even if you would choose to restructure at this point. Uh, if Tyron's going to basically be one of those guys who is not just a physical leader on the field, but a vocal leader, I think that's something that's very important for the Cardinals as they transition into, uh, kind of this next era. They've had the end of one era and Matthew, I think is going to be one of those guys who takes them into the next one. Uh, maybe we're going to be talking about Buddha Baker being one of those next type of Arians picks with them moving up for him. Uh, he was all over the field in the last game against the Giants, which was the, the first shutout that the Cardinals have since 1992. So first shutout you've ever seen in University of Phoenix Stadium. Multiple times you had the, um, the, the Giants were in Cardinal territory on their side of the field. They missed one field goal, but other than that, they just came away with no points. The defense was um, incredibly strong. And a lot of that means I think that is uh, – kind of a maybe an apology you could say of is uh with james betcher we've done him a whole lot of questioning him as far as for with his scheme of questioning whether he knew what he was doing um, so some adjustments that have been made at least um and uh, he's getting a head coach interview i believe he was the first head coach interview that they had today uh he did do at least a tremendous job in terms of turning around the defense the seahawks were held to under 20 points offensively you had an amos jones uh, mishap which led to a long touchdown otherwise it would have probably been 19 points that seattle would have scored um but this is kind of the question have we kind of wronged james betcher how good is he is he a guy who you think the cardinals should consider for the head coach next year at all maybe not give it to him but should they at least consider him I don't. And this is why, you know, they were six in total defense this year. They were 19th in points allowed. Those are good numbers. Uh, they were top five the last two years, but did they ever feel like a dominant defense since Todd Bowles left? I don't believe that to be true. And when you think about all the resources that have been laid on this defense compared to the offensive side, which is now a complete liability, you know, we would think that the defense should be, you know, in the upper tier of the NFL. You've got, two second round pass rushers that are both, you know, 12, 12 and a half sack on average guys a year and Marcus Golden and Chandler Jones. You should have two first round inside linebackers next year in Hassan Reddick and, and Dayon Buchanan. You've got an all pro first round corner and Patrick Peterson, a pro bowl caliber safety when he's healthy in Tyron Matthew, you know, a top 40 player, Buda Baker, who's a pro bowler. And then the defensive line has essentially kind of underwhelmed, but you know, you had Calais Campbell, You've got somebody like Olsen Pierre, who Steve Kime found, who looks like a complete diamond in the rough this year, five and a half sacks. You know, Robert Kimdiche played better as the season went on. You've got him, got some other key parts. This is this defense on paper should be elite um, based on the players that they have. Now, I know he's done a lot in terms of, you know, bringing those, some of those guys up 
um, you know, sharpening their game. And, and that can't be discredited. But, you know, you look at the first eight to 10 weeks of the season, the Cardinals defense was very average. I mean, they got 33 points put up by them and the Rams. The second time they played the Rams, they gave up 32. They gave up 31 points in the most horrific loss of the season at Houston against Tom Savage, which essentially knocked them out of playoff contention. Um, and, you know, they got to play the Niners twice uh, with without Jimmy Garoppolo. The Niners were averaging over 30 points in, in Jimmy Garoppolo's five start five starts. You know, I want to focus in on just the final four games of this season when the Cardinals played like, you know, number one defense. Look at the teams they played. They got to play Tennessee at home, which is one of the worst offenses in all football. Mariota had more interceptions than touchdowns this season. They lost to the Redskins, giving up 20 points. Now, I know one of those, I believe, was a pick six. But at the same time, the Redskins were one of the most inconsistent offenses toward the stretch because they just couldn't field an offensive team. They had lost so many key players. They played the Giants, who were uh, outside of Cleveland, the worst team in football, probably the worst offensive team in football. And then they went to Seattle this past weekend, played well, but at the same time, defensively in the second half, looked completely outmatched and gassed and were probably lucky the Seahawks didn't go for the throat and uh, the touchdown in the final minutes of that game instead of you know letting Blair Wash decide their fate with a missed field goal so uh, at the end of the day he's a good defensive coordinator but Blake if you remember a lot of Cardinal Nation in the offseason of 2013 wanted to keep Ray Horton around because they had never had the taste of what a good defense could look like just like right now the Cardinals have a good defense like they did in 2013 based a lot of about the you know the personnel that they had on hand, Calais Campbell, Patrick Peterson, um, Daryl, uh, Dave, uh, not Daryl Johnson, uh, Daryl Washington didn't have the pass rushers yet, but it had a lot of nice pieces that Ray Horton got the most out of. What did Bruce Arians do? They let Ray Horton go much to the dismay of, you know, Ray himself who got into an altercation with, I think Steve Kime in the hallway before he left. Uh, and Arians said, I want to bring on my guy, Todd Bowles rest is history. Todd leads to, you know, ferocious defenses in 2013, 2014, parlays that into a head coaching job with the New York Jets. Um, and and we an know, extension. that's another big thing is he got another two yeah. year extension. That shows a lot of belief in Todd Bowles. Yeah. He is a phenomenal head coach, defensive coach. I think that the Cardinals would have been fortunate had he hit the open market because I think he would have been the front runner here, but you know, I digress. If they're able to find a head coach like a Shermer, like a, you know, some of these younger guys, DeFilippo uh, of uh, Philadelphia, and not force James Betcher, but leave it as, a, as an option for that coach. You know, I'm open to that kind of scenario, but do I think he's ready to be the head coach? No, I think you'd be regressing significantly. For one, I think the next head coach should be an offensive guy, period, because I think you can find a defensive coordinator looking at the talent that the Cardinals have and say, Hey, I can go make a name for myself out in the desert. Look at the team they have. Whereas if you, if you hire James Besser, Betcher, what elite offensive coordinator is going to come work with this team as is now, I know they're going to make some changes, but you got to hire your coaching staff now. So I would go out, find a veteran coach uh, to compliment, hopefully my young offensive minded head coach, uh, get somebody fingers crossed like a Vic Fangio and uh, roll with that in 2018 and beyond. Uh, James will be fine. He'll, he'll latch on somewhere else. But the Cardinals have elite, elite skilled players, or excuse me, defensive players like they've never had before. They've never had, since I've followed the team, outside of Simeon Rice, one elite pass rusher. They've got potentially two, uh, and they've got you know a plethora of quality linebackers on the inside. 
Josh Bynes played well. I thought Dansby had a nice season for what it was. Um, do they need to make a couple maybe splash moves on the defensive line, one or two maybe in the draft and in free agency? I think it would help. I think that unit is, you know, a B minus to a B. But, man, they're back seven. I would put that up against against anybody in all football. So they should perform well. They were just too inconsistent for me. And, um, you know, to be a, an elite defensive coordinator, ascending head coach, you got to have a top, you know, one to two defense that shows up week in and week out, forces turnovers. That's another thing the Cardinals just didn't do. Don't force a lot of turnovers. They were in the bottom third of the NFL uh, in that regard. So uh, I wish him well if he's not back. If he is back, it better just be in the defensive coordinator role. Yeah, they spent most of the day interviewing him today. Um, We'll be talking more about the head coaches uh, as well as being able to take a look at a couple of <clears throat> excuse me, uh, looking at a couple of quarterback declarations, including one that was a surprise to some people. We'll talk about that next year on the Bird Gang Blitz. Welcome back in on the Bird Gang Blitz. Uh, we'll be moving a little bit away from the Bruce Arians, Carson Palmer, and talking a little bit more about the future of the team. We'll start by briefly talking just about some of the news of quarterback declarations and what it means for the Cardinals picking at 15. Uh, both Josh Rosen and Sam Darnold uh, declared for the NFL draft today. Darnold was the one who a lot of people believe would probably be heading back to USC next season. He's only a redshirt sophomore, had two years starting, but he's very possible going to be the number one overall pick. And I think with the current CBA, with how it's set up as far as for contracts, you can't really stay and come back another year and to go from $40 million to $50 million. And if you're going to be the number one overall pick, uh, even at such a young age, it's better to go ahead and be able to get paid for what you're doing to be able to declare, to come out. Um, it's going to be tough to get some of those reps. Uh, Josh Rosen's the other guy, and he's going to be an interesting case. Has um, all the makings uh, physically as well as just with his mental ability and processing to be kind of a guy who'd go in the top five of every NFL draft every year. There's some questions, at least maybe about personality, character. Um, there's questions of both about turnovers. Uh, the big thing I think we want to talk about is how will this affect the Cardinals with their search for a quarterback? Will they have a shot at any of these guys, even if they trade up? Will this be more about pushing other quarterbacks down further to them? Uh, John, get a couple of your thoughts about this declaration and just the amount of quarterbacks that we're going to be seeing this year in the draft. It's great, isn't it? Darnold was the biggest piece to fall, uh, the biggest domino for me, because it cements the first two picks as Darnold and Rosen, uh, and it allows some of these other quarterbacks to trickle down to Arizona. That Now, that's not to say that, you know, I think there's a probably a you know one out of five, one out of seven chance that Steve Kime jumps up if that pick is available and makes a trade with either Cleveland or New York. Now, I just don't think that those teams are going to be open for business because both of them desperately need a quarterback of the future. Uh, but again, jumping up from 15 to the top 10, I think 15 to seven, you're giving up your second round pick. Then you talk about the fact that the Cardinals have should have two third round picks, one via Calais Campbell compensatory so they're going to have an opportunity to go up and get a baker mayfield a lamar jackson you know god forbid a josh allen mason rudolph at pick 15 if they like him well enough you know i'm not going to argue that pick but you know i would love uh sam darnold he's my favorite quarterback in this class Uh, i think he'll end up having the highest ceiling um and it would be great if the cardinals were able to package picks and go up and get him but you know considering who's picking first overall what I was really hoping, Blake, is that you know the Indianapolis Colts lost their game in Week 17. That would have vaulted them up to pick two, and they would have essentially been open for business right when the season ended. Because you know, with luck and Jacoby Brissett, they're set at that position. 
So the Cardinals, especially with the relationship that they have with Indianapolis, would have been, I think, a, a solid trading partner. But uh, I still don't rule it out. But at the same time, you know, Darnold's decision was one that you heard, you know, 50-50, 55-45 as early as yesterday that he was going to go back to school. Was really kind of embarrassed by Ohio State uh, in that bowl game. But, you know, what I've been hearing, Blake, is, you know, people in his inner circle were were questioning how much more he could learn from maybe a limited coaching staff with Clay Helton. Their offensive line not been very good. Um, they lost Juju Smith-Schuster, some of their quality receivers last year. That group's still growing together. Uh, I, his name escapes me, but they're, they're all conference running back declared for the draft. So, you know, he was going to probably have to carry a, a mediocre team again. And for the fact that they won the Pac-12 this year, they won it last year, won a Rose Bowl. I mean, they're not a championship caliber team on paper. And the fact that you got Chip Kelly moving into your um, conference, good time to get out, come out, get your money. I thought it was interesting that I heard from, I think, Joel Clatter, one of the Fox reporters that Matt Leinert was advising Josh or uh, Sam Darnold. When I heard that news, you know, two things came to my mind. I said, if he's looking for advice from Matt Leinert, he wants to stay. And, and secondly, Liner is still somehow screwing the Cardinals even after all these years when the Cardinals selected him in, in, in 2007. So I, I, it's great news. It's great news. The fact that, you know, I expect Lamar Jackson, he's really the only one who hasn't declared. I expect that to come to fruition here in the next week or so. Uh, I think the deadline is January 15th. Uh, I I've got five first round quarterbacks. If drew lock declares, he's my sixth. I think he's probably the, you know, the 40th to 45th, best prospect but in my book that's worth you know using a late round pick on uh, or late first round pick on so it's an exciting time for the cardinals uh, because they have an opportunity to really make their presence known in this draft go up be aggressive potentially jump teams like the jets and the broncos and blake i know you touched on this on twitter this afternoon that you know some of these teams are going to fill their starter spots in free agency and not have that sense of urgency to go out and get somebody in the draft i mean how great would it be if Kirk Cousins, if he didn't come to Arizona, if he goes to the Jets, if he goes to the Broncos, you know, those guys then are eliminated. If somebody trades for Alex Smith, you know, and thinks that he's the missing piece, you never know. John Elway could think that and sign him to a big extension. I think that there's going to be less noise around a lot of these second tier quarterbacks and they're going to be available, you know, closer to pick 15th than people think, you know, Brock Osweiler, was a bust for the Broncos. Um, Paxton Lynch looks like a bust. Do they really want to draft another high, you know, um, high prospect, high quarterback in this draft outside of Rosen and Darnold? I'm not convinced they do. Now the Jets, some of these other teams, you may have to jump them if you want a Baker Mayfield. But, you know, in terms of these second and third tier QBs, Cardinals should be fine. It should finally be the year that they get their guy. But again, keep your, keep your Twitters handy because, um, uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put it past Steve Kime to to put out a deal with with Cleveland or or the Giants, assuming they don't want to take one of these guys. Especially Cleveland, if they want to take somebody like Baker Mayfield at four, they're convinced. Or Josh Allen, you know, why not put that number one pick up for grabs? If you think that Darnold or Rosen either doesn't want to come to your team or you're not sold on them, uh, Peter King had something in his MMQB column that said that from an uh, anonymous scout or source within the league said that you'd be surprised if Allen wasn't the number one overall pick. Well, great. Let's push him down to four and let's let the Cardinals trade up. 
Yeah, no, it's when you're talking about supply and demand, the demand for quarterbacks is always sky high. It's even higher this year after so many teams had miserable years after quarterback injuries, teams didn't pan out. I think that's great news, at least for the Cardinals, that you have another guy, uh, especially because it kind of fleshes things out. If Allen's still going to stay up higher, if there's any chance of him falling uh, anywhere further, at least if he ends up becoming Arizona's guy. I'm, I, I don't know if I see Steve Kime looking at him with the production, but it, it, it's all part of the process we'll have to look for. Just the fact that you have so many quarterbacks in this year I think is big. Uh, I think it'll be very interesting to see with Lamar Jackson because I do expect him to be able to declare for the draft if he's hearing that he's not a, uh, a quarterback or not a top pick for that one. If he decides to go back, I don't think that that'll change anything. I would still expect him to be in this draft, especially considering just the uh, poor team situation around him. A one touch at least on Drew Locke, because I think that this is, let's go into the situation of let's say Arizona trades for an Alex Smith and you're talking about looking at a uh, 2019 quarterback, God forbid. But I think that he's a guy who um, he didn't get a, it was revealed he did not get a first or even a second round uh, draft grade for the NFL advisory board. I think honestly, they took one look at his completion percentage and just kind of checked it off. Uh, he ended up passing Baker Mayfield for touchdowns this year at the end of the year at 44 and that's against sec defenses. So I think that's impressive, but he at least has confirmed to multiple uh, Mizzou sources. He is going back to school on January 2nd. Uh, maybe something changes and changes his mind before January 15th, but usually once guys say that they're going to head back. So the quarterbacks we'll be looking at for the most part are going to be, as we talked about with Rosen and Darnold, that seems like one, two. And what I love about this year is it's another year where we get to have a couple months of debate about which is going to be the top quarterback prospect, because we've had this with Jameis and Mariota. Uh, we've had this with Carson Wentz versus Jared Goff. You can even trace it back to Peyton Manning and Ryan Leaf. And uh, for those who've uh, read Bruce Arians' book, just throughout the whole process. Ryan Leaf looked like a bust throughout the whole thing, but still impressed enough with the big arm and just a lot of the confidence. Um, had so many different problems that went with it. But I think this is going to be a great little um, kind of some drama to go and figure out which team is going to be there. And I do think that we're not going to really know up until the last month unless the Browns decide to make it very, very clear right away. Then I think at that point the Giants would probably at least say, but for the most part they try to keep that on the download just in case there's a little bit of, hey, you know, we might trade this pick. They might want your might want to sneak up and get your guy at number one. So I, I think that'll be the case where we'll be able to have a whole lot of talk and discussion about Darnold versus Rosen, who's going to win out. Allen, we'll see because I think with the top 10, um, it'll be interesting to see at this top 10 discussion. Let's go, well, just mention the rest list. We'll get into more of this at least moving forward in our probably one of our upcoming shows. But uh, you've got Baker Mayfield is now his college career is officially over. Uh, tough game, at least, that he had in the college football playoff. Does not have a shot at a national championship. Mason Rudolph and uh, Luke Falk would make up the bulk of the kind of top senior quarterbacks. The other ones in the senior bowl are all going to be at the senior bowl this year. It's going to be a fantastic um, area. Josh Allen is eligible. He hasn't accepted his invite yet, but since he is already uh, at the position of graduating, I believe he would be eligible. You also have guys like Carl, Kyle Loretta, uh, Kyle Loretta, excuse me, Kurt Benkert, Brandon Silvers from Troy, uh, Mike White, who's kind of a sleeper, is a pretty big arm and some production. And Nathan Shepard is kind of your to- uh, one, maybe one of the token guys, at least. Maybe you get to see a guy who gets an invite from the, the Shrine game. But I do think that there's enough depth this year that the Cardinals can at least look at maybe not taking a, what just one quarterback, but do what the uh, Washington Redskins did a few years ago. Take one in the first. Maybe if you have to trade up for one and then take a look, maybe around that fifth round, you'd be starting to look at. Um, 
taking her. I don't know if they have a fifth round pick this year. I know they've got a fourth at least. Like maybe you'd take a second pick at least for that one. You are going to have some cap space you'll be able to spend on your offense, um, re-signing guys back to that defense. Uh, let's go ahead. We're going to take another quick break here. and we come back, we'll basically um, wrap up our show talking about some of these coaches that are going to come up. We've got right now about six or seven names at least that are there. Um, one name that's notably absent right now, as well as uh, one from an in-division rival. Uh, let's go ahead and we'll talk about that when we come back here on the Bird Gang Blitz in just a bit. I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. We've created a new way to protect you from unpredictable interest rates. Our exclusive rate shield approval. First, we lock your interest rate for up to 90 days. Then if rates go up, your rate stays locked. But if rates go down, your rate drops. Either way, you win. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Racial approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed-rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. Steelers one. Well, I was on the Todd Haley bandwagon up until about 48 hours ago where a report yeah, yeah. surfaced that Todd Haley was in uh, some kind of scuffle outside of a bar. Now, more details have come out, and I want to be fair to Todd in this regard that he was inside. He's a recognizable guy. He and his wife you know, like to go out and mingle amongst the locals within Pittsburgh. That's great. Signing some autographs. Um, there was an individual that was making things uncomfortable for his family. He was kicked out of the bar, that being the said individual, uh, waited for Todd outside of the bar, if you can believe it, and uh, confronted him and, and a scuffle you know, ensued. Um, but unfortunately for Todd, this isn't the first time that this had happened. Uh, there's another story out there from a few years back that he had some kind of a bar altercation where he used a homophobic slur to a bartender. Uh, it's unfortunate because I think that he is uh, a great football coach, uh, someone who can command the locker room. He's a Bill Parcells disciple, uh, took the Chiefs with Matt Castle, of all people, uh, to 11-5 and and to the postseason. So I think from an on-field standpoint, you know, in the confines of your facility, he would be a great addition. But publicly, is he somebody who's going to play with the community? Certainly not Bruce Arians. Is he somebody you're going to want to represent your franchise with? And again, that might not be fair to Todd, and I apologize if that's the case. But at this point, he's probably going to be delegated as only an offensive coordinator for the remainder of his, of his career. He's got a little too much baggage off the field. Now I do know his, his contract with the Steelers runs out at the end of the year and surprise, surprise, the fan base wants to run him out a la Bruce Arians when not only do they have, you know, the best offense in all football, but he's helped develop a lot of those guys. I watched Landry Jones play, you know, granted it was against the Browns exceptionally well last week and was the biggest reason they, they defeated the Browns in, in route to Owen 16. You know, Landry played really well. If you remember, Landry Jones beat the Cardinals in Pittsburgh, Bruce Arians' homecoming. Uh, Todd, we know what he can do with receivers. He's developed a plethora, whether it be Wheaton. Obviously, he's worked with Antonio Brown, um, Juju Smith-Schuster, Martavius Bryant. Um, He's just such an innovative play caller. I think that the Cardinals would be, you know, wise to look at him if everything else was not happening. I know via Mike Jarecki, he wants an interview. Uh, which may not have been the case in 2013. He was in kind of a transition phase. But um, I know he wants an interview now. I don't know if Steve Keim or Michael Bid will, will give him that opportunity. We could wait and see. I think it could be a scenario, Blake, in which maybe if they're not impressed by this first you know, group of interviews and once the story dies down a little bit, uh, maybe they're going to ask Todd for an interview, whether that's you know 
after the season. Maybe that's, you know, during the bye week of the Super Bowl if the, if the Steelers get there. Um, I, I'm not sure. But I, I don't want to completely close the door yet um, because I think that, you know, if that was the case, you would hear something to that regard. But I don't think he's going to be within these first couple waves. And I think that the only way he gets a chance is if some of these other guys, you know, kind of, um, you know, underwhelm within the interviews. And I do think Steve wants to go with an offensive guy. It's just my gut feeling. And so we look at that list of the, the individuals you just named and none of them jump out in terms of like a Josh McDaniels, but at the same time, Cardinals have to be realistic to what they have to offer. And I know it could be enticing for, for a head coach uh, to be, to see that the Cardinals are patient you're going to essentially be able to, to mold an offense from scratch. But at the same time, you don't have a franchise quarterback in place. You have no offensive line. You've got a 34-year-old receiver. That's your best offensive player outside of a running back that's coming off of an injury. I mean, you're going to have to work your magic with an offense right now that's completely non-existent. Whereas, you know, McDaniels can have his pick of, you know, Matthew Stafford, Andrew Luck, um, you know, John Gruden is going to Oakland because of Derek Carr. So it, it's going to be a tough selling point. I just think Todd is an elite play caller and that would be, you know, something to combat what LA is doing, what Kyle Shanahan and Jimmy Garoppolo are doing. I don't think you can trot out. And again, I could be eating my words because he might be our next head coach, a 52 year old Pat Shermer with, with case Keenum in 2018 and think that you're going to compete. I think that would be, you know, treading water going backwards in my opinion, but I don't see Todd as our next head coach, and it's unfortunate because I do think he'd do a good job. Yeah, and it's kind of a part of it is just it, it would be such a drastic departure from Arians when you look at and talk about some of the stories just about with just some of the lack of relating. And I, th- I do think it's very interesting with how um, when you look at uh, some of the different stories that uh, have come out, like I remember there was also a kind of an area where he and his wife ended up actually suing McDonald's over a rat. There's some of those stories. I, I don't like to get into a lot of those personal things because it can be gossipy. Um, but you just kind of have those lasting images of him getting into an altercation with Terrell Owens on the sideline when he was the, the Dallas coordinator, uh, which is the passing game coordinator, even as early as 2006. You think about Anquan Bolden, I believe, in a playoff game, uh, yelling at Todd Haley. I, even Kurt Warner, I know. I don't remember if he got involved. I remember there was at least a little bit of a shouting match. He's kind of a guy who is, rather than a coach him hard and hug him later, he'll just coach him hard. Uh, I think part of it is that you can say that there's a lot of genius to it. The question is, does that extend to being a head coach? And I think right now, when you look at all of the different options out there um, and you look at what the Cardinals really need, uh, I think it is a really a quarterback guru is what you'd want to have. Have to be able to have a guy who can come in, grow along with the young quarterback. But I do think Steve Kime is going to hire the best uh, available guy. If that turns into being a defensive guy, at least, um, I don't think that's going to be a bad case. I think that they've earned enough trust with Kime and Bidwell to be able to make a hire like this. Uh, let's talk a little bit about, as you mentioned, Pat Shermer, 52 years old. It's not that he's an old coach. I think it's something of where he's had a lot of experience. His only head coaching gig was with the Browns. He did get them to a nine-win season, was fired a few years afterwards, just a whole lot of struggles. Some of that you can put on the Browns. Um, what are some of the things that you think are the um, the cons, at least, to Pat Shermer? And I'll follow up with some of the different areas where I think that there could be some strengths. Yeah, it's just the age factor. I, I don't think the Cardinals want to get in the mindset of continually hiring older coaches because I think it's hard to keep consistency with that. Um, but again, you know, beggars can't be choosers. And at the same time, you know, any success is good success, whether it's for three or four years, five years in Arian's case. Um, and Shermer, you know, to his credit, has bounced back 
very well. Uh, took over for North Turner midseason last year. Turned around this Vikings offense that was a doormat. Uh, has made Sam Bradford and Case Keenum look very strong. Uh, you know, they've revamped their running game with Latavius Murray after losing, Dal- losing Dalvin Cook. Their offensive line, while better, is still probably middle of the pack average. Uh, Adam Thielen has developed under Shermer as, you know, a Pro Bowl caliber player. Stephon Diggs was a six rounder. He's done well with Shermer. So, He's got a lot of pros, but at the same time, you know, you just look at the fact that you've got probably the two best young offensive minds in your division, and you're going to counter with a guy that his career coaching record, at least in Cleveland, when he was, you know, a first-time head coach, was, I think, uh, four wins one season, five wins the next. And Mm -hmm. again, five wins in Cleveland may be like 10 and six anywhere else, but at the same time, he's well-respected. I'd Love him as my offensive coordinator. Love him as my quarterback coach. I, I just am I, based on what I've read, reports. Um, you know, going back to to when he was a previous head coach, just not super impressed by him. I don't want to retread like somebody like Mike Munchak, who we're rumored to be interviewing. He's the serial offensive line coach. Again, great at what he does now, but he was a dumpster fire in Tennessee. I want probably, in my opinion, Blake. I want to roll the dice on a young guy who hasn't had an opportunity um, or I want to go with, you know, maybe a defensive guy, you know, like a Jim Schwartz who at least has taken a team to, to the postseason in Detroit where that's completely unheard of. So there are other options that I prefer more, um, but, you know, I would have to learn to live with it. And, you know, what I, I do think could be a nice marriage would be Pat Shermer and one of these young quarterbacks. Um, but again, is Shermer going to be the guy that, and this is my bias coming out and me just, you know, thinking out loud, that's going to want to roll the dice on Baker Mayfield or Lamar Jackson because they're not conventional quarterbacks. And that's generally what he's worked with. Keenum can move a little bit, but you look at the guys he had in Cleveland, they were, you know, statues in the position. And that's more probably about, you know, the, the personnel decisions outside of what he had control of. But, you know, I look at, you know, John Filippo in uh, Philadelphia <laughs> And the fact that, you know, he's molded Carson Wentz into really, you know, a quarterback who is an MVP caliber player, but also has tremendous mobility and can be a little bit unconventional. And I just think that with his age, uh, he'd probably be a little bit more open to to a non-conventional quarterback like Baker or Lamar, whereas some of these older guys, you just you feel like they're stuck in their ways a little bit. And, um, you know, one last thing I'll I'll bring up, Blake, is if you're going to hire a defensive minded head coach, and you're going to draft a rookie quarterback, and you're going to get an offensive coordinator to come in and work with that individual, and if they have success, you're going to lose that offensive coordinator. And then you're going to see what happened with Matt Ryan this year regressing after Kyle Shanahan left. Do you really want that to happen, or do you want to roll the dice, it's an offensive league, get a young offensive coach and mirror him or pair him with you know a, a Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield, what have you, and not have to worry about losing that guy to another head coaching position. We've seen it backfire many times before, you know, Tampa panicked and hired Dirk Cutter fired Lovey Smith. That's backfired in their face. You know, some guys are coordinators because they're just, they're better coordinators. Um, but again, I'm not going to question Steve Kime and Michael Bidwell because outside of Amos Jones with their coaching decisions, they've hit home runs uh, the last five years going from, you know, uh, Ray Horton to Todd Bowles to James Betcher, obviously Bruce Aarons, two-time coach of the year. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. But that that's just kind of my overall summary of how 
how I feel. I hope we get some more names as we move forward, but I would expect this to drag on at least another two or three weeks as candidates are probably made available after the postseason. Yeah, just to bring up with um, kind of touching it on Shermer, at least the age is one thing you can look at experience. Um, I think that's something of where it really struck me a lot of this is kind of the closest candidate to Bruce Arians that you could probably find There's an offensive guy uh, briefly had some slight head coach experience, but really has just been an offensive coordinator in the league. Uh, one thing that's also similar to Arians is everywhere he's gone, you've at least seen improvement in your offense when he's been there. OC. Uh, you look at just with how when he was with the Eagles, he's basically been kind of a, a for the most part, almost not quite an Andy Reid disciple, um, but he's going to be in a lot of those different types of circles. He really was a guy who worked with Donovan McNabb as a young uh, quarterback. Uh, he had, you know, that was a very, very mocked pick. Look at how he went to the Rams. They basically went and improved um, from their one and 15 season up to seven and nine, especially just with the fact that um, Sam Bradford, he developed him as a rookie. Look at the Cleveland Browns, Colt McCoy uh, had his best season, at least under Pat Shermer. I believe that he actually was a rookie as well. Maybe he's a rookie or it was his second year at the team, I believe. Uh, I was also double-checked. I was incorrect, at least. I was thinking about nine or ten wins. Uh, that would be his total winning record. He's 10-23 and 23 as a head coach. And I think that's the biggest concern that you have with when you have these guys who become head coaches. And even though it's with the Browns, you still have to at least question if you're not seeing that success and you're, not, and you're giving them three years, maybe it was a little bit premature that they fired him just for how – despondent that franchise was he didn't really actually have a good shot at a, a decent quarterback for the most part um but you look at with how every single place he's gone he's at least had success he's improved their offense uh, i think it made some of those things where you like you're saying it is one of those spots where you have to wonder whether he's better as an offensive coordinator than as a head coach i think if they do hire a, a pat Shermer, i could very easily see them being able to trade for an alex smith and being able to move that route and i do think that might be settling a little bit maybe it's if they feel like they have to have a window for fits i don't honestly see steve kind of michael bidwell um having that type of urgency at least uh, let's at least go and talk if uh, we have a little bit about, um, just before we get back to these last two offensive guys, let's talk a little bit about some of these defensive guys. Uh, we've talked a little bit about James Betcher already, so we don't need to talk about him. I do think that he's just a guy who they're going to make sure they vet and go through. But if he was going to be a leading candidate, I think we would have heard a little bit more about it now. Uh, we've got guys as far as for Matt Patricia is probably the biggest name that's out there. Um, I think that's one thing I'd like to at least talk about is just the fact of what would happen if this team did get a defensive head coach like Matt Patricia, Brian Flores is a big name that's out there. Wilkes, the one who I, I think a lot of Panther fans are kind of eager to push on. What do you think it would look like for a defensive head coach? Because I think it would a lot revolve around um, their staff. Uh, but I will say the defense is a huge selling point of this team. It's a top five defense. What if the Cardinals decide to build that defense and try to win games similar to the Chiefs have done by managing the game and then kind of building that offense slowly? Well, I think it would be a good response to the fact that, you know, everybody else in your division has gone so offensive heavy. The Cardinals on paper have the best defense in the division now that Seattle has imploded. Uh, and I know that St. Louis has, you know, Aaron Donald, but Again, the Cardinals, to me, just with their personnel, should have a top-five defense for the next couple of years. Uh, they're not going to lose any key pieces, um, at least this offseason. And they're young, especially, like we said, in their back seven. So uh, it is enticing for a defensive-minded head coach to see this group. But again, Matt Patricia is no dummy. He's going to see that there's no franchise quarterback either. And he can go and turn around Detroit's defense and 
Jim Bob Cooter can stay on staff and work with Matthew Stafford and they can put up 25 plus points a game and you know, everything will be fine. We've seen what a great defense does over the course of the year. If it doesn't have a competent offense to complement it, uh, it gets tired. It gets run down. Special teams play a part in that. You can't win championships with defensive law alone. Now, if we were going to go the defensive route with a Matt Patricia, uh, I think that it would be in his best interest to find uh, a veteran offensive coordinator. Uh, I don't know off the top of my head who's going to be available for that position. I've been, I've been so keyed on them hiring an offensive head coach uh, and getting a veteran defensive coordinator that I haven't really had time to look at some of those names. But at the same time, I think you would see you know this this defense really take it to the next level, uh, at least for the first half of the season. But again, everything is so you know predicated on what kind of offensive success are they going to have, what kind of quarterback success are they going to have. Um, it would be great to mirror the rookie seasons of Russell Wilson or Joe Flacco, where you had a top five to three defense, rookie quarterback, you ran the ball, you played great defense, you got to the playoffs, um, you got those early you know growing pains out of the way for that rookie quarterback. That's what that does. Um, but a lot of things got to fall into place in that scenario. Uh, of all the defensive guys that, that you mentioned, Blake, I think Patricia would probably be my favorite based on you know all the reports that we're hearing out of New England that he is probably the top defensive disciple in the, in the Bill Belichick era. Uh, but there are some questions about his maturity uh, via following the Super Bowl last year. He did wear a barstool Goodell uh, clown face, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, on the jet, and I know that this has come out that Goodell was was pissed about it. He still hasn't gotten over it. Uh, this is the coach that you're going to trot out to your community, your fan base. They're going to take the the annual at the at the um, NFL owners meetings. You got to take the the picture of all the head coaches, and you know Goodell's going to be there uh, again. Is, is he somebody who you think can represent your franchise? He kind of looks a little bit like a slob. I mean, he's not buttoned up. He's got a huge beard. Is it another Rex Ryan scenario? Or is he a guy who maybe kind of like a mad scientist in, in the way that he can work with the personnel that they really don't have? But again, you just don't know with any of these Bill Belichick disciples how they're going to last long term um, because none of them have had sustained success. Uh, I think McDaniels is, is better off because it's an offensive league. Uh, and if he gets paired up, with a franchise quarterback of his choosing, uh, whether it's a Stafford or Luck, to have success. Patricia is going to be relying on a lot of different factors. So um, he would be my top choice, again, because I fall for that Patriots lore. But, again, would much rather go with an offensive head coach. Yeah, one thing that at least makes Patricia stand out a bit for me that a lot of people haven't realized is he actually has an offensive football background. He played offensive line and started off as an offensive assistance coach and then moved to the defensive side. I think part of the reason he's been in heavy demand is that he has a great understanding of the game and from at least what most reports say is that he is kind of more of that mad genius type um, maybe if you could look at, depending on how the interviews are, uh, some coaches I think will probably be turned off from him. Maybe some of them will buy into that Patriots lore. Perhaps this is kind of a guy who when you talk about a little quirky or like a little Bruce Arians. Um, maybe that's going to be some of that type of a swagger. But I think that would be part of what I would at least like do like about him more than some of the defensive guys. Uh, Brian Flores is another one who he's a up-and-comer. He takes care of the red zone defense for the Patriots whenever they plan that out each game week. Uh, he's a tremendous 
endlessly respected and loved by the players there. They just have like absolute adoration for him, similar to the Cardinals players when Todd Bowles was their DC. Uh, I think that he is a possibility at least of becoming maybe another Mike Tomlin, a guy who's not as considered, um, maybe comes out of nowhere, uh, but he'll probably be replacing Patricia as the defensive coordinator should he leave and uh, Flores stay. As for Keith Armstrong, he's another coach who's uh, I think very interesting uh, he and Steve Wilkes kind of, I, I'm not, I think the biggest Wilkes fan. I think part of it is, and we'll talk maybe more about him as we get more info in the next show. Um, the next podcast episode, I should say, uh, Keith Armstrong gets a special teams one. I, a lot of the Falcons are kind of joking about the quality of their special teams, but, uh, I, I think we've at least seen some special teams coaches succeed in the league. Uh, I think it'll be something of, we are going to really vet a lot of these different candidates to be able to go over and see, uh, just exactly what they're looking for and these are probably some of the what's really great about this is these are basically all of the biggest names that you're looking for going into this offseason and each one of them is a guy who not only are the cardinals probably going to get an interview with um you actually could think that they'd have a shot of being able to land whereas if you look back in when, when we had that 2012 offseason going into 2013 cardinals wanted to get andy reed people thought it was going to maybe be a done deal just because of kevin cobb they didn't end up with a, having a shot with andy reed mike mccoy didn't even really interview with the team the chargers swooped in part of the reason that they had said was very similar to where the cardinals are now they did not have a quarterback but it seems that they've because of Arians and because of the fact of where their defense is still built now, they've built themselves up tremendously where I think they could, if they wanted to land a Matt Patricia, they would have that opportunity to be able to land him. They would have the ability to land whoever the top kind of quarterbacks, guru and coaches on the market. Uh, and let's talk a little bit, just moving back into that offensive side. Uh, Mike Munchak is uh, Steelers offensive line coach, maybe the best Steelers offensive line coach he's basically kind of similar in terms of with Pat Shermer of being not quite successful, at least with that. Uh, he is one stint that he had, at least I believe with the Titans just really did not, uh, did not end up having any type of really success. There's some strange stories kind of around him. He did end up having a regular season record of 22 and 26 when he was a head coach. So it's not quite Pat Shermer on the Browns. I just don't see him as being a guy who's a serious candidate unless he goes and wows them. Uh, this would be a guy who maybe would fix the offensive line, fix your run game, but isn't a quarterback guy. Uh, let's go ahead and we'll close out kind of talking about that quarterback guy. And that's going to probably be John Filippo who's maybe our top pick. Uh, the guy who I think at least I would also look into would be the Rams offensive coordinators. We've talked about Matt LaFleur. Ever since he and Kyle Shanahan left, uh, he was uh, Matt Ryan's quarterback's coach last year, and he's moved on with Jared Goff this year, and he's probably been part of their 32nd to first turnaround. I would certainly go ahead and interview him, even maybe ahead of some of these other guys with more experience, just to see if you could land that next stud. And you'd also be taking him away from the Rams in division, which would be great. Uh, but let's go and talk a little bit about DeFilippo, uh, or Coach Flip, as kind of his nickname is. Uh, John, what's some of the reason why you like him? Is he kind of your front runner you'd like for the Arizona job? What are kind of the things that he's done that would stand out where you think he'd be the best candidate for the job? Yeah, I like a couple things. I like his age. I like that he's 39 years old. I like that if he has success, he's going to be around here, presumably. I think that he is going to push for a young franchise quarterback, something we've been clamoring on all season. Uh, and I think that his track record speaks for itself. He led a Cleveland Brown offense in 2015. I believe they won uh, seven games that season. Uh, he was the offensive coordinator for Johnny Manziel and made him look semi-competent that year. Um, and Josh and so, McCown. He made Josh, Josh McCown, McCown. Like, up until this year, his best year as a pro up until this That's year. That's right. John Morton and Morton's probably going to go with the, the Raiders, but yeah, uh, we'll get into a little bit more of the Filippo because there's some really cool stuff I've been doing as some research. 
Yeah, he his track record is impressive. I mean, when you go to dysfunctional uh, areas, I look at the Jets 2009 with Mark Sanchez and the fact that he was the quarterbacks coach then when Sanchez took them, I believe, to the NFC Championship game. So mm-hmm. uh, he's or done AFC, a lot yeah, of AFC. AFC. I'm sorry, <laughs> AFC Championship yep. game. He's done a lot of nice things that have gone under the radar and have been around programs that don't generally have success and their outlier years are when he's there. And then of course this year with, with um, Wentz's MVP season, you know, went up in flames with the torn ACL, but uh, they were just, you know, on a different kind of level of anybody else in the NFC uh, from an offensive standpoint to bring that scheme system over, to bring his knowledge over. um, I think that would be invaluable for a young quarterback I think that, you know, you just think about all the opportunities that a young quarterback has to lean on an offensive head coach and all the all the additional meeting time and, you know, the opportunity to bounce ideas off a guy. Whereas if you're changing coordinators every two or three years on the offensive side, it's so counterproductive for a young quarterback. Unless you've got, you know, Carson Palmer or somebody like that who is, a, you know, a, a film junkie and a quarterback, you know, connoisseur uh, and just – you know, as a veteran, just cherishes the game and wants to get better and just has a, a, a solid, you know, knowledge of, you know, just about every system that he's played in. A young guy is going to come in and be a sponge for somebody like like Coach Flip. And so uh, that to me is why, you know, on top of all the other reasons, I think he's my number one candidate. Uh, I think that based on the reports that I'm hearing, you know, the Cardinals are going to have a shot at him. But at the same time, uh, the Bears – in my opinion, you're going to go with an offensive guy to help aid the, the, you know, the progression of Mitch Trubisky. If you're flip, do you want to go within that dysfunction? Have you seen enough from Mitch Trubisky? I know the bears have you know, a little bit of positive history on their side, but this regime to me is not the answer. Whereas in Arizona, you're going to get that defense. You're going to get Steve Kime, two time pro football talk GM of the year. You're going to get Michael Bidwell, who is, I think one of the top 10 owners in, in the league based on his reputation. You're going to live out West. Uh, you're in a division now that, you know, has tampered off a little bit in terms of what it was, especially when Arians came in, certainly not the defensive division that it once was. So uh, I think the Cardinals have just as good of chance if they want him, if he impresses to hire him. Now, Blake, we're not in those meetings. We don't know what's said. Um, but I, based on the, you know, all the videos that I've watched and the, the comments from Doug Peterson, I think he'd be a home run hire. And I think he's the one coach that you'd be able to bring in and he would say, I'm open to anything at the quarterback position. And he would spend the next, you know, three or four months, you know, hammering out, you know, scouting report after scouting report on those five or six top prospects. And, and hopefully we'd be able to find one that, that leads our franchise for the next decade. That to me is the, is the ultimate wish list, the ultimate plan, but again, long way to go, but man, oh man, the first step would be securing this guy as your head coach. Yeah, and that's something with uh, Ian Rappaport even actually tweeted out and said after it was announced that the Cardinals have requested to uh, speak to Filippo, a quote, AZ Cardinals GM Steve Kine has had him on the radar forever. And this is kind of something where I've, you know, this has been the guy I've talked about, uh, even going back a couple of months on the Bird Gamelitz podcast. With, I, I, when you see the track record and development of young quarterbacks with the young guy, even going and digging into some of his offense with how he tries to scheme and design to be able to not just get guys open, you look and see just how with um, – but his time with the Browns as their offensive corner, their passing game was great. A lot of Browns fans I've talked to have said that they thought that he was a brilliant guy, uh, that he basically was just kind of let go too soon. 
Uh, I think that's part of that you can look at also as far as for with his scheme, with how he had developed uh, is very interesting because if you look at the Cardinals, uh, the run game, it's not as much, he has a power run scheme. It's similar in some levels to Arians, but the routes are quicker. Uh, part of what he did was he took Gary Barnage, a no-name guy, and turned him into uh, kind of almost what looked like an oncoming superstar at least. Great point. Uh, which is, I, I think, something you want to take a look at with the, how the scheme fits. Uh, I do think that he might end up maybe fitting one, any of these quarterbacks who are there, but he also would fit these more unconventional guys like a Baker, or like a Lamar, even like a Luke Falk, if you're talking about a shorter, quick, accurate passing game. Uh, maybe this is kind of a fit where you look at their scheme with Fitz, with Ricky Seals-Jones. Um, just the Cardinals have never been able to u- make advantage or take use of these athletic tight ends. Uh, I, I think that that's part of where if you bring him in and then you can find one of these veteran defensive coordinators, that's probably your best bet. You can at least have seen he was uh, uh, rejected multiple times – or not rejected, I should say. The, the Philadelphia Eagles denied multiple requests for him to leave for at least two or three teams last year for offensive coordinator positions. He's a quarterback's coach, so some have questioned that, but he does have offensive coordinator experience. I think this may be the chance of getting kind of maybe a young Bruce Arians as far as for with that experience. And to me, that would be kind of maybe the most fitting thing of all is not having to look at a window, but being able to have him, have Kyle Shanahan, have um, uh, you know the Rams, Sean McVay, all in the same division, and having young quarterbacks, I, I think that's your best fit. Uh, the last one that you have, I think, that we haven't talked about is Jim Schwartz. For me, I think he kind of is a, another confirmed guy. He fits in the same as that Munchak and the others for me, although I do think that he did get a rough go with the Lions. Uh, he probably seems to be most likely a lock for the Giants job. And John Gruden, as we all know, is going to be kind of heading to uh, the Raiders or not at all. So that'll be an interesting experience. Uh, but I think what's kind of um, good news for the Cardinals is we've really not seen the huge amounts of turnover that was expected. There was a rumor that it was going to be about up to 12 different head coaches potentially. Uh, but the Bengals have kept their head coach. The Bucks have kept their head coach. The Broncos, surprisingly, have kept Vance Joseph. The Browns are deciding to stick with Hugh Jackson and his one win over two years, of course. Uh, Browns, uh, it's, it's, it's unfortunate at least to see. But the Texans are maybe having to choose between their GM. Uh, I think they actually fired their GM, Rick Smith, I believe at least, or, or they're kind of having to choose between and Bill O'Brien wants to stay involved. He's a guy I know that's been kind of linked to the Cardinals um, is someone uh, they would maybe pursue post Arians. If he's let go, I think that he'd get a look, but I really do feel like as rap sheet said that um, the guy that they'd be keying in on would be John DiFilippo. They're going to be probably interviewing him this weekend, assuming that they'll be able to fly safely in this weather. Um, but there's only about six jobs that are open right now. Maybe the Titans open up if they fire Mike Malarkey. I hope they do, at least for Marcus Mariota's sake, but there's only six jobs and really only five because of Gruden. Maybe that dwindles down to four when you start talking about uh, if the Mike, Mon- if, um, excuse me, Jim Schwartz ends up being the guy for the Giants job. Uh, you've got a uh, Josh McDaniels is reportedly going to be interviewing with the Colts. Maybe if Andrew Luck's going to come back healthy, you might end up having it where it's between you and the bears. And wouldn't that be ironic if it's the Cardinals and the bears once again are kind of taking a look at this offensive guy who is a quarterback developer and you know how that happened last time with Bruce Arians. He came to the Cardinals, one coach of the year to success. The Bears, for whatever reason, didn't like the quirkiness. They decided to move ahead with um, Mark Trestman, who was fired promptly two years later. This is kind of one of those, is this like the NFL just repeating itself? Like, What are your thoughts before we head out for tonight just on that, John? Well, yeah, and you look at the dysfunction that's been in Chicago over the course of that time, the the bears are on their third hire. The Cardinals are on their second. Their only reason the Cardinals are making their second is because their coach is retiring. And you look at Mitch Trubisky and the fact that 
you know, he was the second overall pick last year, but his season was completely underwhelming, in my opinion, compared to what we saw from Watson, the flashes that Mahomes had in preseason. And, you know, I thought he played well last Sunday. You know, Trubisky threw seven touchdowns, seven picks. They are in worse shape, if you can be in worse shape, than the Cardinals are at receiver. They have some of the worst wide receivers in all of football. Now, they do have the better offensive line. They've got a nice interior offensive line. And Jordan Howard's a quality back, but he's, he's not David Johnson. So the Cardinals have them in, in my opinion, location, defensive personnel, and the fact that I think that, you know, being married to Mitch Trubisky is not the same as being married to Dave, Derek Carr or Andrew Luck. It's just not. He's not Deshaun Watson. He showed, you know, some flashes this year, but he's still limited in a lot of what he does. Um, that's not to say I think he's going to bust. I liked him before the draft, but – I think there is an over-analyzation of the Cardinals not having a quarterback of the future on their roster now. When, If you're meeting with Steve Keim, and if Steve Keim has to sell Coach Flip on this job, uh, all he has to say is, I'm going to have $40-plus million in cap space after I make a couple key moves. I've got two third-round picks. I'm not afraid to deal future picks. My defense is stacked. You don't have to worry about that. Um, we're going to make – uh, a couple key signings in free agency. I'm going to bring in two or three quality offensive linemen. I'll get you another wide out and then pick a quarterback. We'll find one together and I'll go get him. I, I, I truly believe that's what Steve Kime's selling point is to me that, that, that is more enticing than being married to Mitch Trubisky, because I don't think Mitch Trubisky is a top five or four quarterback in this year's class. I think he's probably right there with Josh Allen as the fifth best quarterback in this class. I wouldn't rank him ahead of Lamar Jackson or Baker Mayfield. Certainly wouldn't rate him ahead of Josh Rosen or, or Sam Darnold. So, um, you, and plus just the dif- dysfunction that, that is the Chicago bears. Uh, I think that he would be best served to come to Arizona. And, um, and if the Cardinals want to be the next head coach, I think that's the best case scenario. And then the dream scenario would be that he would bring on like a Vic Fangio as defensive coordinator. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the staff will look like. We already know Hera, uh, we already know, excuse me, James Betcher's staff would include uh, most likely Chuck Pagano as DC and Mike McCoy as the offensive coordinator. When I heard that, it was just kind of like it just mm, turned it off. It, just having some of those experiences is nice, but these are guys who are kind of more of maybe not just retread options, a lot of experience. But it just feels like it's something of where it's, it's the same old that you've seen these guys before. You're kind of looking for something fresh and new, and that was really what Arians did bring. He brought uh, Todd Bowles, who was a, a guy brought a whole breath of fresh air. I do think that with Flip, uh, as you're saying, the, another thing you can at least always try to sell, and not just the uh, that, but the Cardinals, as far as for stability and organization, uh, also have a lot of that due just to their stadium. I think that's a huge thing that you can also sell, at least versus Soldier Field. Part of Trubisky's struggles, I think, are related to it's really difficult for quarterbacks to succeed in Chicago. Just not just the wind, the outdoor, the conditions. Uh, everything I think is difficult. And the second thing is John Fox. <laughs> That's one thing I think is going to be a, some, at least I think we'll move up from him. But I think you are right ultimately about Trubisky's where you're going to see some improvement, but ultimately you're coming on married to this quarterback. Well, another quick point, Blake, 
I want to make is the fact that the division boasts Aaron Rodgers. The Packers look like they're getting their act together. They fired their GM. They're reshaping their coaching staff. I would assume that they're going to start participating in free agency. That's a team that's going to turn it around in a big way. Uh, the Lions have a better quarterback in Matthew Stafford. They've got a better roster. And then the Vikings are 13-3 and three this year without a franchise quarterback. And Mike Zimmer is a heck of a head coach. So you're the fourth best team in that division at least next year, if not the next couple of years. Uh, you really want to be in the same division as Aaron Rodgers. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, and that's, it's going to be interesting because some are going to make that argument with Arizona now that Jimmy G is there with the Rams looking like world beaters. I think they've had a lot of balance. Goff, it's, it'll be interesting to see what happens once he has less of an offensive line, once he's developed where McVeigh's not whispering in his ear about every play, once LaFleur kind of moves on. I think that'll be kind of interesting to see if he's going to be more of a Matt Ryan type. Um, I think you could have that. And then Russell Wilson, of course, is in the division, although the Seahawks, and this, we'll talk more about this, obviously, in the offseason, they're going through arguably more changes in the Cardinals they still have that quarterback though and that's part of why they still had a nine and seven a uh, winning season but it just is kind of turmoil and you feel almost better about the cardinals moving forward than you do about the seahawks uh and it'll be interesting i think we'll be able to see through this process i think fully i think if uh, eagles end up going in they've got to buy they've got the home field advantage locked up if you end up having the cardinals kind of settle down a little bit after they meet with flip and some other guys and you start having it and i think that it might be more of that being kind of locked in but i do think you're going to see a lot of meetings over the next couple of weeks uh, but yeah it'll it'll be something at least to watch out for and see i think that is kind of your best case at least um and we'll see you never know there might be a coach that comes out and surprises that happened with the steelers who are going to hire russ grimmer ken wesen hunt and going with mike tomlin um, bruce arians is the last coach hired as we know that season he ended up outlasting every single one of them uh, except for andy reed who was uh, of course has um, got the the Chiefs back in the playoffs. Uh, so I think that'll basically wrap it up for us in the Bird Gang Blitz. We'll have more at least coming up as we get into the head coaching search. We'll do a little bit more reflection, just getting down to the basics of um, some of the individual players in 2018. Which guys are we bringing back? Who do we want to move on from? Uh, then also just kind of previewing, um, just looking forward to the draft with the, these quarterbacks, being able to kind of see as the process gets started. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, John, let's tell everyone where you can find you again. On Twitter, I am at Johnny's Football, J-O-H-N-N-Y-S, football, all one word. Um, yeah, give us a follow. Uh, Blake, where can they find you? Yeah, they can find me at Blake Murphy 7. Uh, you can also find my work on Revenge of the Birds. I'll be getting into my quarterback breakdowns coming up. Uh, it's going to be kind of fun is I'll actually go ahead and um, release my breakdowns here on the Bird Game Blitz podcast before I'll actually be publishing it on Revenge of the Birds. So if you're going to want to get a little bit of a teaser about what some of the findings are, last year it was really fun to go through. It opened up a lot of eyes as people got to see just how good of a prospect Pat Mahomes was about how the stats backed it up in a lot of different ways. It'll be fun to get back into that this year um, as far as some additional work uh, the other thing at least also is um, we're probably going to be starting up a bird gang blitz twitter account pretty soon i'll be publishing the backlog of the shows since we're finally done with the 2017 season there's a little bit of a chance to breathe and catch up so we'll be able to kind of go through and we'll be publishing those and kind of summing up what were some of those things we were right on what are some of the things we missed on it'll be kind of fun to have a little bit of a review for that just going over the whole 2017 season as i look forward to probably the most important cardinals offseason that they've had since 2013 all right Very good. 
Sounds great. Uh, thank you very much for joining me as always, John. Thank you for joining us as well. Uh, if you faithful listeners, I always appreciate it every single week. Take care and we'll talk to you uh, next time on the Bird Gang Blitz. It's time to get serious about California's failing infrastructure. More than 1,600 bridges are structurally deficient. Proposition 6 will make things even worse. Prop 6 eliminates more than $5 billion annually in dedicated transportation funding. And 6 kills local traffic relief projects already underway. That's why the California Professional Firefighters and California Association of Highway Patrolmen all say no on 6. Paid for by no on Prop 6. Stop the attack on bridge and road safety. Sponsored by business, labor, local governments, and transportation advocates. Committee major funding from California Alliance for Jobs. Thanks. It's time to get serious about California's failing infrastructure. More than 1,600 bridges are structurally deficient. Proposition 6 will make things even worse. Prop 6 eliminates more than $5 billion annually in dedicated transportation funding. And 6 kills local traffic relief projects already underway. That's why the California Professional Firefighters and California Association of Highway Patrolmen all say no on 6. Paid for by no on Prop 6. Stop the attack on bridge and road safety. Sponsored by business, labor, local governments, and transportation advocates. Committee major funding from California Alliance for Jobs. Hello, I'm Ashley Carmen. I'm Caitlin Tiffany. We're the hosts of Why'd You Push That Button, the Verge's show about all the choices technology forces us to make. We're back for season three, talking about questions like, why do you delete your tweets? And why do you type in lowercase letters that make you seem like a serial killer? And why are you on an exclusive dating app? You're not that special. We're releasing a new episode every Wednesday, and you can find this anywhere you typically find podcasts, which is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts. So go ahead and subscribe and check us out.